Thank you for tuning in to Voice of Islam Jamaica. The following is a recorded program of a live show. Please do not call in, but feel free to send messages on our WhatsApp line at 876-283-9533. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of God be unto you. Hello dear listeners, welcome once again to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in Jamaica with your usual program educating the general public on issues, questions and also concerns that they may have about the religion of Islam. I am your host, Imam Ibrahim Fawson. This program is brought to you by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and always as a reminder for the new listeners, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is one of the over 70 denominations in Islam. This community believes in the advent of the reformer of the age in the person of His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community is established across over 200 countries and we believe in peaceful coexistence with God's creation and reject any form of violence. Our motto is love for all and hatred for none. In the course of today's program, if you wish to be part of it, kindly send us your message via WhatsApp and the number is 876-283-9533. Again, 876 283 9533. For the past few weeks, we initiated a series of programs talking about the biography of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, his life and how he was commissioned by God as a prophet, and also what he and his followers went through. Um, those who were with us last week, we reached at a point where, as a prophet, life was unsafe for him and his followers in the city of his birth, that is in Mecca. They were persecuted, they were killed, they were, you know, humiliated, they were prevented from practicing their faith. It happened so much so that they had to leave that city and seek refuge in a foreign land. The prophet and his followers migrated from Mecca to Medina. We will today look at what happened when they went to Medina as to the situation that also prevailed there. Actually, life became unsafe for them and the followers, I mean the people of Mecca, pursued them after even they had migrated in order to bring an end to um, the mission of the prophet and also destroy him if they could even kill him. So today I am joined once again by Imam Tariq Azim who is president and missionary in charge of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in Jamaica going to help us talk about life in Medina as the last in a four-part episode concerning the life of Prophet Muhammad 
sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so imam tariq assalamu alaykum and welcome to today's program wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh may peace and blessings of god be upon you and all the listeners yes um i would want us to continue from where we left last week and if you just joined us joining today's program we have done three episodes already and today happens to be the last probably the last in the uh the four part episodes last week we talked about the prophet sallallahu's migration to medina what efforts did he make for peace in this new city concerning the migrants and also the inhabitants of medina and the communities around medina Yes um last week we spoke about how the prophet peace be upon him uh instilled a brotherhood between the muslims you know within the muslim community he uh said that such and such is going to be a brother to this and this person meaning that uh, they will take care of each other's needs in every way and that was an excellent way to you know bring the two communities together the migrant muslim migrants and the local muslims from medina but that is within the muslim community but even outside of the muslim community as now he had been appointed as a um, you know ruler for the uh, muslims as well as in a way for the whole territory um he went about ma- making certain pacts certain treaties signing certain treaties with other, other tribes that ensured peace within the region within the town um first thing that when the holy prophet peace be upon him arrived there there were two tribes that were constantly fighting each other for decades and you know behind them there were other tribes from within the region that were supporting either one or the other tribe these two tribes were called aus and khazraj aus and khazraj so when you know the people from both these tribes some of them accepted islam uh, they asked the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam knowing that he is a man of peace he is he stands for justice and he will always decide fairly and equitably between people so people from both of these tribes approached him to you know one they invited him to their town and to migrate there and to uh, decide between them judge between them and make peace between them so they appointed him as an arbitrator as a judge between them so uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him awesome. upon arriving in medina established peace between these two tribes and this in itself was a huge achievement especially for those two tribes that had been fighting for ages you know for many of the children that grew up in that town all they ever knew was that their tribes were constantly in fight with each other so this was uh, one of the earliest thing uh, that you know the holy prophet peace be upon him was able to establish was able to achieve when he went to medina that he ended this uh, decade old this decade old dispute between these two tribes and because from many uh, from both these tribes many of the people became muslims their leaders as well as several other people so because of that now they weren't uh, you know instead of being enemies instead of being enemies they were now brothers actually they were brothers in faith they looked out for each other they took care of each other the environment of hostility changed into uh, an environment of peace love and brotherhood between them so that was uh one of the earliest uh, you know efforts of peace the holy prophet peace be upon him established sure, sure. or achieved in the town of medina um but after muslims migrated to medina now there was not just 
the Muslims there. There were Muslims there that had just migrated or the ones that were already living there. Then there were uh, some uh, idol worshippers that had been following the Arab religion for, for a very long time. And then there were three other Jewish tribes. So there was a large Jewish community residing in Medina as well. And of course, each, uh, you know, each of these religions or these tradition, people had their own traditions and culture and customs. And to live amicably in, 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 a, you know, in a town with these different, so many different groups, there has to be some kind of uh, a treaty or a pact between them. So the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam approached these other groups and not just these groups in Medina, even the towns surrounding Medina to ensure peace for all his citizens, all the people, all the citizens of his town that was now Medina. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, went to some of these towns, including the Jewish tribes. In many of these uh, communities, he was People were hostile towards him at the beginning. They mocked him. Nonetheless, he worked extremely hard to resolve the disputes diplomatically and bring all the people of that, that region on the same page. So eventually, I mean, a pact was signed between these tribes and, you know, a copy or words of these pact, words of these treaty, we can even read it today. Uh, the book that we've been referring to very often in our discussion on this program, yeah. uh, Life of Muhammad, uh, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sure. This book is available with us. If anyone is interested, they can contact us uh, at our number 283-9533, uh, 283-9533. Or this book is also available online. If you would like a copy of a physical copy or an online copy, we'll be happy to provide. So this is on page 48 and 49 of this book. The, if somebody is interested in reading the actual pact. So just to summarize, like what kind of clauses are included in there, um, it, it talks about helping each other uh, in all matters. They will not help any of the tribes that is within this treaty. They will not help enemy of one of the other parties within that agreement, with that, within that treaty. So this is another, this was another clause that is mentioned in there. Um, it talks about giving refuge to those fleeing from their countries, their towns, wherever they might be coming from. It talks about honoring the religious traditions of each other. It talks about freedom of religion and many other uh, important uh, things that we, you know, even uh, in today's society, some of those things we've not been able to establish in many parts of the world. Uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out to achieve these things, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of worship, and you know, respect and honor for each other's traditions. And he was able to do it quite successfully. And it is quite astonishing to see that how uh, in those days, um, communities, religions that were completely you know, apart from each other in their beliefs, yet managed to agree upon this agreement. And for some time, there was peace between them. OK, thank you very much. and. Um... Let's look at it. This is a very wonderful approach for the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu who had just um, been accepted into a new town, that is Medina. And as a welcome message to him, he was confronted with these, these tribes, who, I mean, which were usually um, in battle against each other. And um, that was the first step, as you said, he undertook, that is to make peace amongst them. 
just by that singular act alone, a number of these tribes became Muslims. They accepted Islam. Some people, unfortunately, those who might not be privy to the beautiful teachings um, contained in Islam, sometimes assert that Islam is a religion that teaches violence. Does Islam teach or promote violence? Islam, you know, completely forbids uh, unnecessary violence, completely disallows it. There are many, many verses in the Holy Quran to prove this. The life of the Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, is a testimony to the fact that he always looked to establish peace and he always tried to not have any kind of battles, wars with any community. He wanted his community, his Muslims, Muslim companions, to be able to practice their faith freely wherever they are residing. And I mean, of course, we will look at these, uh, look at this more. But just to ex- give some verses from the Holy Quran that what Islam uh, talks about violence, what does it say? If we take a look at chapter five in the Holy Quran, verse thirty-two, God Almighty says that whosoever killed a person it shall be as if he had killed all mankind. And whoso gave life to one, it shall be as if he had given life to all mankind. This is the message given uh, by, the, you know, uh, by the Holy Quran. And this was practiced by the founder of Islam, Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. It was not about taking lives because murdering somebody, it's, it's akin to murdering all of mankind. Right? And if if uh, you give life to one person, you save one person, it is your uh, you know, um, contribution to saving all of mankind. This is the teaching given in the Holy Quran. Then again, this is a general teaching, not just in religious matters. And it does not say uh, saving the life of a Muslim or somebody. No, it talks about saving life in general. In general okay. right? Life in general is sacred and it needs to be honored and respected and protected. This is the message and teaching of Islam. When it comes to religious matters, Islam is even more clear in this, in this regard. Islam says in, the Holy Quran says in chapter 2, verse 257, a verse, uh, the verse, uh, again, we believe this is a revealed book of God Almighty and these instructions are from God Almighty himself, from himself. So he says, there should be no compulsion in religion. God says there should be no compulsion in religion. This is the verse of the Holy Quran that anybody is free to practice whatever religion they like. Nobody can force them. Nobody can coerce them. They, it is their choice and they can you know, um, make up their own religion if they want to. It is up to them because they're answerable to God for that, not yeah. to me or to any other human being. So they're completely free. So Islam is very clear and this verse alone speaks volumes. right? It says there should be no compulsion in matters of religion. Then again, I'll just present one more small chapter from the Holy Quran with five or six verses, which talks about this. Um, it says, say, so the God Almighty is commanding the yeah. Holy Prophet, peace be upon sure, him, sure. And, 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 the, you know, and other Muslims that say, oh, disbelievers, I worship not that which you worship, nor worship you what I worship. And I'm not getting going to worship that which you worship, nor will you worship what I worship. For you is your religion, and for me is my religion. So this is taken from chapter 109, 
of the Holy Quran, verses 2 to 7. And look how clear it is. You know, the Holy Quran gives this message to the believers, to the Muslims, that when you talk to the you know, disbelievers, those who don't believe in the Holy Quran or the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon yeah. him, um, you tell them that what you worship and what I worship are two completely different, you know, uh, philosophies that we follow in matters of religion. But at the same time, for you is your religion and for me is mine. I'm not going to hurt you for it. And I expect the same that you will not hurt me for, you know, for this, uh, for practicing something different. So this is the teaching given in Islam. This is the teaching practiced by the, the holy founder, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings okay. of Allah be upon him. Of course, the Holy Quran clearly does not support violence as you clearly stated in chapter number 5 verse 33. In some of the Qurans, you might see it as chapter 5 verse 32 and this is because some translators don't add the usual Bismillahirrahmanirrahim in the beginning and the translations by the Ahmadiyya Muslim communities in our translations, the Bismillahirrahmanirrahim that is in the name of God, the gracious, the merciful, is added, making it number 33. This does not change anything, I mean, anyway. But then God says that um, if you kill one person, you it is as if you have killed the entire humanity. And if you give life to one person, it is as if you have given life to the entire humanity. I think this is uh, maybe a topic we would want to uh, delve deep into it. But then continuing with the... Uh, the biography of the prophet particularly looking at what happened in medina the new city we understand and we also read that the muslims had to participate in some wars some battles the question is why did they have to partake in these battles if of course islam means peace why did they have to fight Yes, from, from the last question and the answer that I've given, I think it should become quite clear that Muslims never fought any battles for the purpose of spreading their religion. The, you know, the Holy Quran is very clear, La Ikra Hafidin, chapter 2, verse 257, no compulsion, no force can be used in, uh, you know, uh, in matters of spreading the faith or coercing people to believe uh, in that matter. So yes, Islam did have to fight many battles. Then why were those battles fought? So when we look at the history of Islam, especially in the era of Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings uh, of God be upon him, and also in the era of the, the caliphate, the successors, uh, the rightly guided successors of the Prophet, they also, you know, all the battles that they, they had to fight, uh, it was only in self-defense. No other uh, type of battle is allowed in, in Islam except for self-defense, except for defending the, you know, protecting your life, protecting the right to worship and these matters. No other battle is allowed. In chapter 22 of the Holy Quran, verse 40 yeah. and 41, this is where permission is given to the Muslims to defend themselves and only defend themselves. So I quote from the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says, permission to fight is given to those against whom war is made because they have been wronged. And Allah indeed has power to help them. Those who have been driven out of their homes unjustly 
only because they said our Lord is Allah. And if Allah did not repel some men by means of others, they would surely have been pulled down cloisters and churches and synagogues and mosques wherein the name of Allah is oft commemorated and Allah will surely help one who helps him. Allah is indeed powerful, mighty. So again, many important points to look at in this, this beautiful two verses that, that talk about, you know, uh, so many different uh, aspects of uh, uh, basically you can say uh, wars, but self-defense and protecting the rights of uh, worship, not just for Muslims, for others. So, but let's take a look at it that why the, the permission was given to the Muslims in this case. It says that the verse says that those who have been driven out from their homes, this permission is given to them. Okay, and actually the the Muslims the Muslims clearly were also driven out of their homes from their original city of birth. Exactly. That is the prime reason that Allah the Almighty has allowed them that they were driven out of their homes unjustly. And why were they driven out? For the sole reason that they said that we believe in one God, right? So this was the main reason that the permission was given to them, no other reason. And again, even before God says that you can do, you can fight, God says that permission is given only to those against whom the war is made. So those who have been made war against. So Muslims can never initiate a war on their own. They can only fight when the war is started by their opponents. So this is the fundamental teaching when it comes to to, to the fighting or the, the battles that the Holy Prophet ﷺ had to fight. Islam is a religion of peace. It is a religion of logic as well. And it appeals to logic, our, our common sense, our logic, and it makes sense. So because of that, Islam does not allow Muslims to start the war at all. The only time it allows us to fight is in self-defense and if our right of worship and other freedoms are being asserted. And then Islam says that you should not just fight only for your own sake or, or your own cause. Because if you don't fight, then what will happen is that not just you, your right as a Muslim will be asserted, but other places of worship. It says there would surely have been pulled down cloisters and churches and synagogues and mosques. All other places will be uh, at risk of being attacked as well, because just because somebody differs uh, you know, in, in their religious beliefs and whatnot. So this is the uh, beautiful teaching given in the Holy Quran that you're only allowed to fight in self-defense. And now think about it, right? Uh, any listener that is listening, to, you know, that is listening to us, like think about it. For example, um, if somebody tries to rob you or they try to hit you, what would you do? Maybe the first time you might try to ignore somebody who's trying to hit you, right? Like, okay, maybe he did it accidentally. He didn't mean to hit me. I was standing right next to him, so perhaps it might have accidentally happened. You might shift away if, if you notice that the person is constantly attacking you or hurting you. You might notice that, no, he wants to hurt me. All right, so let me move away there because I don't want any fighting or anything like that. So once you move away, the person comes to attack you again. Then you realize that his intention is that he wants to hurt me very seriously. Now you only have two choices, either to report that person to the authorities or if you are a self-governing is, is, you know, state, then you would have to fight back and defend yourself. That is exactly the case. That, you know, that is what logic 
logic requires that this is what you would do. If you don't do it, that person will keep attacking you or robbing you until you're completely, you have nothing left. This was the situation with the Muslims. They lived in Mecca. They were brutally persecuted there. Many of them murdered, looted. Their properties were taken away from them. They were tortured in you know, uh, inhumane ways. We talked about it previously. So they, what did the Muslims do? They migrated from there. They moved yeah. away from there. When they moved away from there, still the, the people of Mecca did not sit idle and they continued to attack them, hurt them and do whatever they could do, you know, gathering the tribes to inflict uh, some, some war on them. So, you know, different things, different, different problems. In that case, if you still don't fight, you're basically allowing the opponent to come and rob you, you know, completely with nothing left on you, rob your clothes and everything. And then you're there, your children, your families, everybody's killed right in front of your eyes. That logic doesn't, our mind does not agree with that. We ourselves, if somebody tries to attack, um, you know, for example, if somebody is trying to attack your house, what would you do? You would do whatever you can to protect your, your family, your children, your belongings and whatnot, because this is your right. Because this, whatever is in there, it belongs to you. So for this reason, this was the situation uh, that Muslims were faced with. And they went out, even though they were extremely weak in comparison to their opponents in the size, you know, when we look at the numbers and the, uh, uh, the weapons that they, they possessed, Muslims were always weak compared to their opponents. Yet they went out to fight knowing that they're going um, into this battle with most likely not coming back alive. So still they went into it because they were brave and they were ready to sacrifice their lives for the sake of the truth and only in self-defense again, not to attack. But again, now look at chapter 8 of the Holy Quran, verses 62 and 63. Allah the Almighty says, And if they incline, the opponents, incline towards peace, incline thou also towards it, and put thy trust in Allah, Surely it is he who is all-hearing, all-knowing. And if they, the opponents, intend to deceive thee, then surely Allah is sufficient for thee. He it is who has strengthened thee with his help and with the believers. So here, what Allah the Almighty is saying is that even if your opponents offer you peace. Yeah, and they deceive you. And they deceive you. Your obligation is to accept the peace. Don't say that you are doing this to deceive me, so therefore I'm not going to stop the war now and I'm going to make sure I'm going to continue until you are dead. No. Islam says if they offer peace during the battle at any time, you take it and you end the battle right there. Don't, don't say that, oh, now because the war has started and now I'm going to make sure that I avenge the death of all those people that they have uh, you know, killed from, from our community or from our country and whatnot. No. You take the peace offering and you make peace immediately. You end the war right there. This is, you know, the basic teaching in Islam that you never start the war. You fight if, you, uh, if the war is started by the other person. And then even if you are outnumbered, even if you're weak, you stand up to the bully and defend the right uh, of yourself as well as other people in the community. And if the, the bully or the, the attacker, the opponent, uh, at any moment says, all right, let's end it here and make peace. You take that, even if you feel that there's some deception in that. Life of the Prophet, Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. His life is a testimony that he never attacked another, another people. 
they were the always the aggressors, the opponent, and he always always fought in 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 defensive, you know. And uh, he was never the one. If he did attack, initiate a war, it was only because another uh, the another party had broken a treaty that was signed, and they had hurt somebody or they had done something wrong. Never the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, initiated a war. It was always from the from his opponent's side. Here, I think it would be very pertinent to mention some some of the instructions given by Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, to to his companions that went out for the battle. So there is these. Uh, I'm looking at the book Life of Muhammad right now, which I talked about earlier, yeah. and in here uh, there is certain rules mentioned that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had put in place. Uh, had instructed his companions with to follow during any of the battles that Muslims were fighting. So what are those rules? What are those instructions? Let, let, let's have a read. Okay. So number one, Muslims are forbidden altogether to, mute, to mutilate the dead. So in Arabia, it was a custom that if you killed an opponent, you would mutilate their body, uh, cut their nose and, you know, like... Uh, to basically dishonor and disregard the dead. Okay. So Islam, our Muslims are forbidden altogether to mutilate the dead. Number two, Muslims are forbidden to resort to cheating. Even during wars, Muslims are not allowed to, to cheat or deceive other people. Number three, children are not to be killed, nor, nor women. Number four, priests and religious functionaries and religious leaders are not to be interfered with. Number five, the old and decrepit and women and children are not to be killed. The possibility of peace should always be kept in view. Okay. Number six, when Muslims enter enemy territory, they should not strike terror into the general population. They should permit no ill treatment of common folk. Number seven, a Muslim army should not camp in a place where it causes inconvenience to the general public. When it marches, it should take care not to block the road, nor cause discomfort to other wayfarers. Number eight, no disfigurement of face is to be permitted. Number nine, the least possible losses should be inflicted, inflicted upon the enemy. Number 10, when prisoners of war are put under guard, those closely related should be placed together. So this, again, if uh, two people, for example, two brothers from the opponent's side are um, taken, they they should be kept together rather than separated just so that they cannot, you know, for whatever reason, no, uh, they should not be separated. And this is interesting because just very recently uh, in the USA, a champ supposed to be champion of, uh, you know, humanitarian rights and whatnot, yeah, we heard we about how yeah, sure. the children and the mothers were separated um, the, from the, you know, from the illegal immigrants that were coming from the South. So mothers and the children and the parents were separated because, for no apparent reason. But here, Islam says that no closer uh, uh, relations uh, should be separated unnecessarily. And then it says, prisoners should live in comfort. Muslims should care more for the comfort of their prisoners than for their own. Emissaries and delegates from other countries should be held in great respect. Any mistakes or discourtesies they commit should be ignored. If a Muslim commits the sin of ill-treating a prisoner of war, atonement is to be made by releasing the prisoner without ransom. And then when a Muslim takes charge of a prisoner of war, the latter is to be fed and clothed in the same way as the Muslim himself. And then it says, 
public buildings and fruit bearing trees and food crops are not to be damaged during any of these battles. So the, look at these rules. So many rules have been put in place to make sure that true Muslims would never hurt uh, any person. The only reason they fought was because they had very little choice. They, 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 they were forced to uh, fight in order to survive, in order to stay alive. And that was the only reason Muslims fought. Otherwise, the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at all costs, he, he chose peace uh, over any war battle. If there was any opportunity to uh, establish a pact with another tribe, establish some kind of a treaty, he always did that. That is interesting. And um, throwing light on the, the verse you, you read out, that is chapter number 22 of the Holy Quran, verse 40, uh, which talks about permission to defend oneself you mentioned that that is a fundamental teaching in islam however it is also fundamental human right that every single individual you know possesses and it is it is same as we have in every country we have the military who are also responsible for external peacekeeping another interesting part of it which also strikes um is the fact that it was not only Muslims who were, um, you know, supposed to defend themselves or Muslims were not to defend only Muslims, but then they were also within the verse you, re you recited or you read out, they were to protect people of different faith groups, Christians, Jews, you know, Hindus, and by the places of worship that you mentioned, the temples, the synagogues, the churches, these are not places where Muslims worship. And then even the mosque came last. So the fundamental um, teaching, as you said, is also the fundamental human right that every human being and also every country possesses. Let's look at the, the first battle. Does it fall under the dictates of the verse you read out? For instance, you said in the verse that permission is given to those against whom war is made. And then also, again, you mentioned that those who have been driven out of their homes. Let's look at these conditions. The first battle that was ever fought in Islam, that is called the Battle of Badr. What exactly brought about that fight? And did the battle meet this requirement for the Muslims to defend themselves? Yes. Um, so after moving, migrating from Makkah to Medina, Meccans were still making efforts to preparing for a war, for a battle against the Muslims. They had started making preparations and uh, there was many, uh, you know, rumors about it at first. And then the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had sent a couple of his companions to quietly see that what is going on, are they making preparations and what is going on so that we can also make preparation, at least for our protection to some extent. And it was confirmed that the preparation was being made. And uh, so, you know, the Meccans used to pass by the town of Medina every few months because of, because of the trade route. So the Meccans used to sell their merchandise north of Medina in Syria. And every time they would go past Medina. So um, what, what, what they were doing was that they started to bring very large amounts of armies or soldiers 
with them each time they went on this route. Initially, it wasn't that big, but right around the time of the battle, they started to bring about two, 300 people as armed people, uh, and they were passing every time past Medina. So it posed a risk to the Muslims now that even though, like, for example, they could be pretending to go to uh, Syria, but they would be having all this, uh, you know, soldiers with them, and we wouldn't even know they could attack us. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, under this, uh, you know, uh, fear or this concern, he inquired more, and then he found out that there was an army of about 1,000 people that the Meccans were planning to bring to Medina and attack the Muslims. So that, that news eventually turned out to be correct when this Battle of Badr took place. So the Battle of Badr, as you talked about the location of it, it took place just outside of Medina in those days. Um, today, this part, which is called Badr, is actually has become part of the town. So it's right basically you know, within the, the city limits now. But what I mean is that you can understand that how close it was to the, uh, to the residential community of the Muslims at that time where the battle took place. So the Meccans came with about 1,000 people. And the Muslims, on the other hand, had gone out to see that if that rumor is true, then we will have to fight them. And they went out with 313 companions who had almost no weapons with them, almost no cavalry with them, maybe only a handful of uh, horses and camels. While on the other hand, uh, the thousand trained soldiers from Mecca with heavy cavalry and weapons and whatnot came to attack the Muslims. At this point, the Holy Prophet ﷺ consulted his companions. You know, they were completely outnumbered. And apparently there was no way that they could survive even they could stay alive in this battle. So going against a, an army three times your size, it is, it is a suicide mission. But why were the Muslims ready to fight in this case? Because they were not fighting for glory. They were not fighting for money or loot or anything like that. They were fighting to protect their right that these people have come to kill all of us. So why we should, we must put up a fight and do the best we can to protect the honor, uh, protect the, you know, the, our prophet, Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and our right to worship. So when the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, consulted his companions that what should we do? Should we, uh, are we ready to fight? Are you ready to fight? He asked them. And many of them stood up and they said that, yes, O Prophet of God, we are ready to fight. At this point, I just wish to mention um, um, you know, a, a quotation of one of a very recent convert at that time. He stood up and he said that, he said that, oh prophet, we now stand by you. Whatever you ask us to do, we will not behave like the followers of Moses, peace be upon him, who said, go you and your God and fight the enemy. We remain here behind. That's what the people of Moses said. So he says, if we must fight, we will and we will fight to the right of you, to the left of you, in front of you, and behind you. True, the enemy wants to get at you. But we assure you that he will not do so without stepping over our dead bodies. Prophet of God, you invite us to fight. We are prepared to do more. Not far from here is the sea. If you command us to jump into it, we will hesitate not. So this was the sentiment of a new Muslim who had seen the compassion, the kindness, the love that the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam practiced and he was ready to fight to defend him 
as well as his religion, and 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 they were ready to lay their lives, all of them, you know, for the sake of uh, for the sake of Islam. So this is uh, that 300 Muslims versus a thousand disbelievers. So the battle started, as I mentioned, apparently there was no chance for Muslims, but it is mentioned in the Holy Quran that Allah the Almighty helped the Muslims with angels coming down from the heavens and the companions, the Muslim companions that were fighting this battle, they say that we could feel the presence of Allah's angels assisting us. And despite few, you know, very few Muslims, very uh, in comparison, very few Muslims, um, Muslims were still granted victory. And most of the Meccan leaders, uh, as it was a prophecy mentioned in the Holy Quran, many of them died in this battle and there was a very, you know, the prophecy was fulfilled in a very clear manner uh, as, they, as, the, as the, the leaders of Mecca perished at the hands of Muslims in this battle. So again, you can very clearly see when you study, when you read. Uh, again, I welcome you to read this book, Life of Muhammad. You can see that how Muslims only fought in self-defense, as was mentioned in the verses that, uh, as that we discussed previously. Yeah. And... Muslims only did so, only fought, because if they did not fight, um, the entire religion, entire community, their children, their women, everything would have been murdered or enslaved. So this was the reason that Muslims had to fight. Even after migration, they could not find peace. And when they were attacked, they defended as any um, person you know, would understand that, that it, it must have been done. It should have been done. Thank you very much, Imam Tariq Azim. And if you have just joined us, um, you are with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here. And today we are uh, continuing the last in a four-part episode of the biography of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the message that was given to him and some of the um, situations he and his followers were subjected to the persecution the torture and today we are looking at a time when they left the city of mecca that is where the prophet was born and when uh, where he was commissioned but because of the message because of the um, the message god had given him the people of mecca persecuted him and his followers until they left the city of Mecca for Medina. After they went to Medina, life was again unsafe for them in the new city they had adopted as their home. The people of Mecca plotted to destroy the prophet and his followers and battles upon battles ensued. This is what Imam Tariq is helping us to understand today. Imam Tariq, a couple of other battles were, were fought. Apart from the Battle of Badr, there were other battles. Of course, time would not allow us to go into all those battles. But one thing that also needs to be taken a look at is the number of the Muslims as against the number of the um the mercans their opponents who had come to destroy them you said the mercans were 1000 or around that and the muslims were just a little over 300 and history tells us that they were 313 ill equipped they did not have what it takes to defend themselves however due to the situation they had to be compelled 
to fight in self-defense in accordance with chapter number 22 of the Holy Quran, verse 40. After the battle, there was a treaty that was signed um, to ensure that both parties remained, you know, calm without fighting. And um, can you take us through that treaty, what it is called, and um, what particularly brought about that treaty? Yes, absolutely. Muslims, as, as we have discussed, were always seeking peace. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was always absolutely. finding ways uh, so that peace could be established in the region so that everyone can follow their religion, whatever religion they belong to, freely. But after the first battle, uh, soon after the Meccans attacked again, the, the, uh, the Muslims and the battle was fought just outside of Medina. And similar story, there was a thousand Muslims this time, but 3,000 uh, Meccans that had attacked. And then again, uh, later, some years later, a couple of years later, another battle ensued. And in there, uh, 10,000 Meccans had come to attack Medina. This battle went on for several days. Um, but because Muslims, uh, they were again very outnumbered in this battle. So they dug some trenches uh, near inside Medina in the town, just outside of Medina. And, and uh, it resisted any attack from, from the Meccans. So it was a very you know, heavy uh, or you know, army-wise, it was a very large, heavy army. But at the same time, uh, because of the ditches that Muslims had dug, they were avoiding any kind of fighting, but not letting the people come into their town either. So because of that, this battle eventually a very heavy, um, you know, a storm came. And then it was considered a bad omen in Arabia at that time to continue fighting after a storm. So many of those Meccan tribes that had come uh, to assist the, Me uh, the people of Mecca, um, they all went back and that war ended. So eventually there was a peace treaty signed, but not because of this particular battle. Actually, what happened was that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had, had a vision, had a dream. And he saw that he, along with his companions, is performing um, uh, you know, the pilgrimage in Mecca. So the holy site for Muslims was still in Mecca, but they were not able to go there because of the differences, uh, because of the uh, you know, opposition that they faced from those people. But when Prophet peace be upon him had this vision, had this dream, he thought that God Almighty is referring that this is a time that he should go with his companions and perform pilgrimage. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, without the intention of any kind of war, any kind of battle, went towards Mecca and 1,500 companions were with him and they went with the intention of performing the pilgrimage. But when they reached close to Mecca, the news had, of course, reached uh, the people of Mecca that Muslims are coming. And so they naturally thought that maybe perhaps they have come to attack us. So they started to, you know, uh, think along these lines and prepare. So, but Muslims came and stopped just outside of Mecca in a small place called Hudabiyah. And there Muslims uh, met with some of the people or some of the, um, you know, ambassadors from the Meccans. And then in that discussion, and when they met, they said that our intention of coming here is not to fight the holy site for Muslims as well as uh, other Arabs is in Mecca and people from all over Arabia come here to perform pilgrimage and hence we are here for the same reason please allow us to perform our pilgrimage we'll go right back so this you know this uh, discussion went on for some time eventually um, a, a treaty was signed between Muslims and, uh, and, and the Meccans at the end of this. And this treaty was actually remarkable 
a very important chapter in the life of uh, Muslim community because after this peace treaty, Muslims were able to practice their, their religion without the fear of being attacked at all times. You know, the way they had been living yeah. for past seven, eight years after settling into this new town. So um, again, we, since we don't have the time to go into the details, but this treaty uh, basically um, disallowed any kind of battles for the next 10 years. And it also stipulated that if the Muslims were in treaty with another tribe and the Meccans were also in treaty with another tribe, they will also not be fighting either. And they will, help, they will basically the Muslims and the Meccans will be held responsible if their uh, allied parties happen to fight each other. So that exactly, uh, you know, the Muslims um, followed through and they were happy that a peace treaty has been established and that now we can live and practice our faith in peace. So this treaty between the Muslims and the Meccans is known as the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Okay, now let's look at um, some other incident that also happened. As we are recommending people to read or to look for the book Life of Muhammad and also asking them to come for both hard copy and soft copy, a person may chance upon what is termed as the victory of Mecca. Apparently the Muslims at a time when that is after 10 years of being exiled into a different country, um, they came back and they took over the city of Mecca. What exactly happened? After this treaty, Muslims and the Meccans enjoyed a short period where there were no battles and Muslims were allowed to practice their religion freely. And in that period, as a matter of fact, the religion of Islam spread you know, extremely rapidly uh, in Arabia. And many, many people accepted Islam, many small towns and tribes accepted Islam. And the reason was that there was peace in the region. So Muslims could practice their faith freely and also go out and preach and whatnot. That allowed Muslims to, to you know, uh, reach out to more people and more people eventually joined Islam. But one of the conditions of the treaty was that it, 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 you know, it included that the allies of each of Muslims and Meccans will also respect each other, meaning they will not go into battle against each other. Okay. However, one of the parties that, uh, one of the, the associated tribes or allies with Mecca attacked one of the associated or allied tribes with the Muslims. And now the, 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 the truce or the pact with Muslims and the, the tribe that was attacked between them, this, uh, this was uh, the agreement that if one of, one of us is attacked, the other will come to help. So Muslims, by, you know, because of these agreements, because of these treaties, they had no choice. Due to the terms of the agreement, they had to go and uh, attack Mecca now because uh, they had broken the truce and their allied parties had broken the truce. So eventually that resulted in uh, Muslims uh, planning to attack Mecca. And this attack took place in, uh, in about eight or nine years after uh, migration from, uh, from Mecca, initial migration. And then after that, you know, Muslims started preparing for this attack. And it is mentioned in, in you know, when we read uh, this book, Life of Muhammad, it is mentioned that about 10,000 companions went with the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and camped outside of Mecca. And the Meccans knew 
that what had happened and they knew that an attack was coming. Their leader, Abu Sufyan, uh, came to the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam seeking, you know, um, forgiveness that, you know, you haven't made this mistake, but please uh, forgive us. But the Prophet, peace be upon him, said that sure, sure. it's not in my hand. Um, this is something that we owe to the tribe that was attacked. So eventually, the Holy Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and Abu Sufyan, the leader from the other party, uh, came to an agreement and the Muslims were allowed to enter Mecca and the Holy Prophet became victor, became ruler of this new town. But now you have to imagine what it was like for the Muslims to enter Mecca. The people of Mecca were the same people that had killed many, many Muslims over the years during those battles, but not just in those battles, because even before that, those battles when Muslims lived in Mecca, many, many Muslims were tortured murdered brutally without any defense, without any, you know, uh, reason even, and they were killed. So when the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam entered Mecca, there was no fighting. It was a complete, uh, you know, in, in a peaceful submission in a way. And uh, the Meccans were given uh, this opportunity that if they do not resist, there will be no killing, no, uh, everybody will be pardoned in a way. So it was said that anybody who comes uh, under goes into their homes will be considered uh, as if they're not intending to fight and no harm will come upon them. Anybody who enters the house of the leader, Abu Sufyan of Mecca, no harm will come to them. Anybody who goes to the, the, the site of um, the holy site, the Kaaba, no, no, you know, no harm will come to them. So all these instructions were given. Eventually the Prophet Muhammad, uh, the Holy Prophet uh, of Islam entered Mecca and the people there asked that, um, you know, please forgive us the way Prophet Joseph had forgiven his brothers. So Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, forgave all those people who had done, you know, unspeakable thing to the Muslims, to the very family of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They had killed his daughter, his grandchildren, and many other uh, uncle and many other beloved people of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, yet he forgave all those people. This is how the victory of Mecca came about and the example uh, of the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a forgiving and a merciful ruler came in front of all those people. As a result, many of the Meccans, not all, because there was no force, many of the Mus- uh, Meccans ended up accepting Islam, including the leader Abu Sufyan, who, who had actually led the Meccan army against the Muslims in many of the battles. So this was uh, the you know, very brief account um, of what happened after that truce. Again, I mean, perhaps we should discuss it at another time to do full justice to this topic. Which means, um, in essence, there wasn't any battle per se. Um, however, the Muslims had the, the right and also the, the power to do so if they so willed and um, the Americans having realized their mistake um, kind of solicited for peace and the Muslims agreed absolutely they, they knew that the Americans knew that they were in wrong and they asked him that you know please forgive us just like brother jo- uh, prophet Joseph had forgiven his brothers the brothers that had thrown prophet Joseph in in a well holy prophet peace be upon him on the other hand 
exhibited even greater forgiveness than Prophet Joseph because Prophet Joseph had forgiven his own family members. Yeah. Yet the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was forgiving uh, not his family members, general populace and general population that had actually murdered his family. And still he showed, you know, exhibited mercy and forgiveness towards them. Thank you. Thank you very much, Imam Tariq Azim, once again for the wonderful exposition uh, you have, you know, given with regards to the life of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the mission that was assigned to him by God the Almighty and the challenges he went through, the level of transformation he brought into this world. And uh, today, as we speak, there are over 1.8 billion Muslims across the world who, you know, pledge allegiance to this noble prophet of, you know, God, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, may the peace and blessings of God be unto him. After the victory of Mecca, few years thereafter, the Prophet وسلم, was called unto his Mecca, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. And as Muslims, we always say that to God we belong and to him we shall all return. This is all that time would allow on today's program. Again, thank you to Imam Tariq Azim and also for you, the wonderful listeners, who have always been part of our program. Until we come your way next time with another interesting episode from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, it's love for all and hatred for none. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Salih